Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, we have a very special guest. His name is Jeff Kinley. He's just published a book, which I finished this morning. The title of that book is Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global, Global Crisis. A very timely book. has a lot of uh, current topics in there about COVID and George Floyd and its relationship to the end times. But Mr. Kinley has over, written over 30 books. He has a weekly podcast titled, titled Vintage Truth. That's heard in over 80 countries, and he's a graduate of the University of Arkansas and the Dallas Theological Seminary. And some of the titles of his other books are, As It Was in the Days of Noah, Warnings from Bible Prophecy about the Coming Global Storm from 2014, The Coming Apostasy, Exposing the Sabotage of Christianity from Within, 2017, The End of America, Bible Prophecy in a Country in Crisis, 2017, and then Interview with the Antichrist in 2020, and then a book that is coming out at the end of this month, which is titled The Prophecy Prose Illustrated Guide to Tough Questions About the End Times. And that's going to be, the, oh, sorry, the 13th of 2021, so very soon. So Mr. Kinley, also his website is jeffkinley.com, J-E-F-F-K-I-N-L-E-Y.com. But we're going to talk about this book, Aftershock. So Mr. Kinley, are you there? I am. Great. Great to be with you, William. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not know about your background, can you talk about... Uh, your theological outlook and what led you to write this book, Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm i one of these people that wasn't raised in the church, and so I didn't come with sort of a preloaded software coming into uh, uh, the whole Christian faith type of thing. And so, but I had a radical change of life uh, at, at, in my teenage years and uh, eventually led me to college and to seminary. And so once I got out of seminary, one of the things that really struck me was just looking at the culture around me and being able to say, okay, does my Bible say anything about my culture and anything about ways that I can face the times that, that we're living in? So that's sort of what led me to begin writing uh, as well. You mentioned I'd written over 30 books. I mean, just, you know, topics keep coming. And so this latest book, Aftershocks, William, kind of came to me because in looking at the year that we were beginning to face uh, in 2020, and uh, it just sort of was like a, a punch in the gut, to be honest. I mean, nobody saw this thing coming. Uh, I began to ask myself, you know, has, has there ever been a time in my life where I've seen the entire planet talk about one single thing? And the answer, of course, was no. I mean, not even with 9-11 was this thing so uh, so prevalent. So I just began to think about, you know, what's going to be what's going to come as a result of this initial uh, earthquake seismic event type thing called COVID. And so I began uh, researching in scripture and began looking at uh, just some of the uh, the future prophetic signs that the Bible talks about in the actual end of days and how the things that we're going through right now are, are sort of in the middle of that, I think, the the aftershocks of COVID, but the foreshocks of what's really going to happen. So like any earthquake, there's always aftershocks. And so I began looking at what are some of the aftershocks of the COVID uh, phenomenon, the COVID crisis. Right. And there are a lot. You can see a lot of people had an agenda that was pre-existing to this COVID event. But you open your book with like the um, Anchorage, Alaska earthquake, this huge tectonic shift. And I think that we've seen that. I think your book exposes that. So what, what has this COVID event and, and it's kind of ancillary, the George Floyd riots and everything that happened during COVID, what has that revealed to you and what do you expect to come of it? Yeah, I mean, the, the first chapter is just simply called The Great Revealer. And I think that when adversary, uh, excuse me, adversity or crisis hits, uh, whether it's a person, a community, or in this case, a, a planet, 
that when it hits, it really does reveal a lot of things about us. And of course, uh, on the heels of the COVID crisis came all of the uh, the social and unrest here in America with the whole George Floyd incident. We had, you know, people burning things in the streets. They're taking over cities. I mean, we had the whole uh, social justice movement to really explode in this thing. And it really, I think, revealed what was there all along. I don't think any of these these uh, events actually cause these things, but it just tells us that there's something very, very wrong with the human condition, that we're this angry, we're this divisive, uh, we're this um, uh, crisis-oriented in the sense that we want to seize upon a crisis, uh, as you said, to push uh, a pre-existing agenda. And uh, that's what we began to see kind of come out of it. And and so there was just moral decay that kind of came out of this thing. There was a spiritual decline, there was social upheaval, economic collapse, of course, came as a result of this. And uh, really, the only thing left is, is meteorological catastrophes, which hasn't, haven't really happened yet, but the Bible does prophesy that in the end times. So I've just looked around, William, and just said, you know, what what has happened as a result of this? And and people have, um, I mean, let's just take one area, just the spiritual area. Since COVID has hit, a third less people have gone to church. And, you know, you think, well, okay, you know, part of that was lockdown, part of that was quarantine. But part of it is just people kind of got used to not going to church. And so now people are, are in fact, a, a recent study by George Barna uh, says that 25% of those people are not even going to go back to church. They're kind of used to it. So that's been one aftershock that this whole uh, crisis has had on us. And so I think it's affecting us spiritually, of course, as the spiritual uh, condition of a nation goes, so the nation itself goes. Right. And I think that that's really telling. And, and my pastor is trying to get people to just mention to everybody that churches are reopening, mm-hmm. which they are. But uh, it it is really kind of a so and it's still the, the aftershocks are really still happening from COVID and George Floyd. We're still seeing this kind of birth panic turbulence and things leading up to uh, what's happening. But can you talk about what else like the kind of globalist response and how this agenda has has eroded in at least ideologically, but maybe in truth, the sovereignty sovereignty of individual nations? Yeah, absolutely. When we first began to experience this whole COVID global crisis thing, immediately there began to be calls for a one world government. In fact, you had everybody from Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, uh, Prince Charles, uh, the former Secretary General of the UN, and of course, uh, Klaus Schwab, who's the um, founder of the World Economic Forum, they all began to say, hey, this is the moment. Uh, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the reason why all the nations have to come together and form a one world government, because we have to cooperate, fight this common enemy. And of course, along that, they're, they're fighting climate change and all this other stuff, social justice issues. But it really kind of dovetails quite seamlessly into what scripture says is going to happen in the end of days is that there will be a crisis. There will be a one world government that will be formed. And uh, that one world government will be run by Satan's man of sin called the Antichrist. And so this whole global reset idea that has uh, come upon uh, uh, the world here recently is really gaining traction. In fact, it's very interesting, William, that the, uh, the key to, to a global governance system coming together is that nations must lose their sovereignty. In other words, people can't be patriots to their own nations. They can't have closed borders. The borders have to be open. Uh, there has to be sort of a, a global citizen mindset. People have to stop being capitalists. They have to start being socialist and give up what they have uh, to, to the government. 
And uh, the only person really standing in the way of that uh, huge obstacle was a man by the name of Donald Trump. And he, you know, fostered this whole idea of make America great. And people kind of fought against that. Well, now that he's out of the road, then this agenda can continue to move forward. And in fact, Joe Biden, our current president, ran for president under one of the World Economic Forum slogans, Build Back Better. And so just taken right out of the playbook of the globalist regime. Right. I mean, it's incredible. And you see the breakdown of the borders that, that Trump was trying to maintain have broken. The statistics that I read, a million people have entered the country in the last six months. It's a huge yeah. number. It's almost uncomprehensible. People who may not even have our traditions or ideology. So it's uh, the long term ramifications of that will be a severe aftershock. And Joe Biden's made New World Order speeches. And his outlook, is, in my opinion, is very well known. Whether he's making decisions about the country or not, I don't. Right. I suspect that he's being put to bed with a glass of milk at six p.m. But, <laughs> um, right. but you do see that kind of globalist uh, mo movement now after COVID, and our solutions can be made through global. How does that globalism? How does the new technology tie into this push for globalism? Well, right now in in um, in the world today, there are a couple of things that are going on. Number one. Uh, Billions of people obviously have smartphones in their hands. They're they're making digital footprints everywhere they go. Uh, in terms of, of economies, uh, economically speaking, there's about 41% of transactions now are being made uh, online or digitally. Uh, cash is, is being seen as dirty, obviously, with the COVID thing. They, they hijacked that whole idea and, and make uh, cash being dirty. And so people are being moved technologically towards being connected online. Of course, the more that you're connected online, the more you can be tracked. Uh, the more people can know where you are. Uh, the, there's been a huge push for the digital uh, passports, the vaccine passports, uh, to be able to show with your phone uh, where you've been. And uh, in fact, I got a notice, I was in the airport the other day and, and this notice popped on my phone that says, hey, you can find out who's had COVID around you so you can avoid them. Right. And I thought, my goodness, I immediately deleted that. So I don't want to know what, where everyone's been and what everyone's done. So that's one thing. And it's really kind of, again, paving the way for this new world order because the new world order will have a, a common uh, currency. In other words, people will have to uh, pass through this, this passport, this portal of being able to, um, to buy or to sell through taking what the Bible calls the mark of the beast and uh, certainly the fact zine is not the mark of the beast, but we're moving towards the day where a cashless society will exist, where people will be forced uh, to make choices and financial transactions based upon what the government says. And, and there's an interesting pattern here, William, that, that I've noticed. And, and I didn't actually put this in the book, but since the book came out, I've been noticing this is that there's a pattern that whenever there's, there's a crisis, the crisis creates a chaos. But then here comes the government riding on a white horse uh, or the authorities that be saying, oh, no, here's a calm here. All you have to do is to, to wear a mask for two weeks and we'll flatten the curve. And when that didn't work, it was quarantine. When that didn't work, it was social distancing. And then comes the vaccine. And of course, now one vaccine is not enough. Two vaccines not enough. Uh, people are getting infected once again with COVID who have had two vaccines. And now there's a Delta variant they're afraid that's coming out. And so basically it's a it's a continually spinning of the ball of this crisis mode that we have to continually be in. Because the more crisis mode that we're in, the more government can come in, give you a little stimulus money here, go door to door, ask you about the vaccine. And eventually it, it leads William to control. So you go from crisis to chaos to calm to eventually control. And that is the end game of this globalist regime. 
Yeah, it's total control. And it's not just a, a, a diminution of national sovereignty, it's individual sovereignty as well. Mm -hmm. So that's being degraded. But you kind of what comes to mind when you're making those statements is the Masonic dictum order out of chaos. So the chaos is created, then that's their order. This is their solution. It seems like that dialectic is taking place. But you also mentioned in your book, these new kind of uh, readers for the hand that that Amazon has. So we're really right at the cusp and all the transactions that are being done on the phone, we're really on the cusp of that mark of the beast that uh, the, the revelation talks about. Well, absolutely. In fact, what they're doing is they're moving technology and financial transactions from your wallet to your phone to the air, basically with contactless payment, all the way now to, to your hand, your actual body. And of course, um, many people know this, but uh, Amazon has released this thing called Amazon One, which is a biometric scanning device that they've already put it in stores up in the Northwest. And you can make a payment using only your hand. And it takes about 300 milliseconds and the accuracy rate is within one tenth of 1%. So in other words, you'll, you'll never have a forgery. You'll never have anyone steal your identity, that type of thing. But what it does, William, is it, it reads the raw images of the, the handprint, the hand patterns uh, on our palm. And, uh, but it goes really beyond that. It goes to the uh, underneath the anatomical structures, the vein, uh, the vein patterns, the bones, the soft tissue and other things that are beneath the skin. And so therefore it's really kind of getting into you. Now, Again, this is not the mark of the beast, but but isn't it ironic, isn't it crazy that the Bible predicts that the ultimate one world government will enact a payment system that will be on your right hand or on your forehead? And here we have Amazon essentially doing that, though it's not right now connected to the mark of the beast. So, so yeah, I mean, it is kind of eerie how Bible prophecy continues to be proven over and over again. And it's kind of like this. I think it's sort of like, the check engine light on your car, you know, when that thing comes on, you really do need to pay attention because something catastrophic is about to happen or could happen. And I think what God is doing right now is he's just flashing that check engine light all across the world saying, people, you know, this whole world is being groomed for exactly the person that Satan has prepared him. No, it's really true. Time. You can definitely see these these little pieces being put into place. The world economic forum. I mean, there, and you look at the stuff that, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but what he's writing about is mm -hmm. is all of this futurism that ties into Revelation and all this stuff. It's uh, Klaus Schwab, yeah. but they uh, you will own nothing and be happy, right. and it's really going to be a new type of political system. If you have to rely upon getting the mark of the beast to buy and sell, you're looking at a kind of techno technocratic socialism system that's never been seen before, but is just incredibly menacing if you don't if you don't want to take part in it, right? Well, absolutely. In fact, it's it's the ultimate bait and switch, and it begins with it begins with a promise of peace and safety, which is exactly what the Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter five uh, that the world will be saying in the end times. For your peace, for your peace of mind, for your safety, then take this, then wear this, then do this, then transact this way, and that's the way it'll come initially. And of course, there'll be you know, exchange is given. There'll be freedoms that'll be exchanged for other things like money and that type of thing. But eventually what's going to happen is there's going to be a, the switch where at the midpoint of what the Bible calls the tribulation period, there's going to be a huge switch where now it's not going to be this um, this offer of good things. It's going to be a demand. And so that's when government 
turns against us. And that's why America was founded, by the way, uh, to fight a tyrannical government. Well, there's going to be a world tyrannical government, the Bible says, that is coming in the last days, but it won't present itself that way. It'll present itself on a platform of peace and a platform of safety. Right. And I mean, we're kind of also at the precipice of not just this COVID of George Floyd, but we have, what, $28 trillion in debt that cannot be repaid. There's no plausible way. And you talk about the end times economic collapse. What do you think that entails? Well, I think, first of all, it, it entails there has to be a crisis that facilitates that. Uh, I believe that crisis is going to come uh, right before the Antichrist is revealed. I believe it's going to be uh, related to the rapture of the church, uh, something that has to be global. If you think about it, the only way that this world can change the way that the globalists want, want it to is for there to be a global crisis that essentially affects everybody. And so, and as we saw, what did it do? I mean, people lost their businesses, they lost their careers, their livelihoods, their life savings. Uh, countries were, were imploding economically, but COVID is simply a sneeze compared to the coming economic collapse. In fact, in Revelation chapter six, uh, the Bible predicts there's going to be a time when there's going to be some 800% inflation uh, there in Revelation 6. And of course, because of that, there's going to be famine. Uh, there's going to be war at that time as well. And that's going to lead to all sorts of other things too. So that's going to come in the end in the end of days. But this is really sort of like a trial run. So if it's been hard for people to really get by during this whole COVID thing, and it, it, at some point, there's not going to be enough money to print to give to people, then in the end times, uh, the Bible says that everyone is going to be affected uh, by this incredible famine and, and economic collapse. And there really is actually a famine right now. It's not really reported, but Africa, because of COVID, there was all kinds of changes to uh, agricultural practices that and, and distribution practices. That a lot of people aren't getting food. It's really not in the media. So you yeah. kind of see this precursor right now. Um, how, do, how do you think in this end times, this aftershock, how does Israel play into this whole scenario? Well, it's fascinating to me that uh, this country no bigger than the size of New Jersey is really kind of driving a lot of the world's narrative in terms of, uh, of peace, in terms of war and that type of thing. It's interesting that it, as you read the Bible, you see that uh, all things kind of come back to Israel in the end. In fact, God actually turns his attention back to uh, Israel as a nation. And when you read the book of Revelation, it's really about Israel, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble and uh, and this world government initially is going to be friends with Israel. It's going to make a, a peace offering to Israel that I believe will enable them to rebuild their temple, uh, which is something that they're preparing to do right now. Uh, they just don't have the freedom to do it on the Temple Mount. I believe that this world leader, this coming world leader is going to be able to do that, uh, facilitate that for them. And yet uh, Israel, once again, will come to the forefront because you know, we've seen it in the past few months with, uh, you know, I think it was a record of 10 days. There were over 4,600 rockets fired into Israel. So this is a powder keg. And one rogue rocket hitting the wrong place could send the whole world uh, into World War III. And so scripture tells us that that focus is going to come back on Israel again. And what's amazing to me is that here you've got a people group. In fact, in no other time in human history have we seen this happen, that a people are dispersed across the world, they lose their nation, they lose their language, and yet they come back together again after 2,000 years uh, to be born again. May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. Uh, they took Jerusalem uh, and the Temple Mount, the, the inner city of Jerusalem in, in 1967. 
And so now you have Israel that is a nation again. They're once again a player on the world stage. No one can defeat them and no one will defeat them. And so, yes, it's going to be a, um, a standoff in the end between the Antichrist and between the nation of Israel. And the Bible tells us that Israel will once again come out on top. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because the whole state of Israel was really born in conflict. And at one point it was like a one billion people, one billion surrounding population against a very small population there and fighting these wars, really still kind of fighting a low level war for survival. It depends how you want to define it, but it really is fascinating. And you talk about in your book how this preparation for the third temple is taking place. The rabbis are making the appropriate uh furniture or whatever, anything yeah. to, to go in there and their weight. Can you talk about the, the importance of the red heifer and how that plays into it? Yeah, the, the Jewish tradition says there must be a, a red, a perfect blameless uh, of, um, a blameless red heifer before they can uh, enter in the temple and, and have the new temple again and begin their sacrifices. And they've almost found that, uh, that red heifer. They've come so close to finding that. But what to me is even more important is the fact that, that within the, the Orthodox Jewish community there in Israel, they have, they founded the Temple Institute in 1987. Uh, the Sanhedrin has just recently come into existence again. And they have, they've trained priests. Uh, they have, uh, you can see this on their website, the templeinstitute.org. Uh, they've drawn up plans for the new temple. Uh, they've trained hundreds of, of priests. They have gone through ritualistic sacrifices. Uh, they have built altars. They've even done uh, mock sacrifices up on the Temple Mount. They've been kicked off the Temple Mount. And they say now that they can construct a, a, um, a tabernacle within a, a matter of days on the Temple Mount. They're just given permission. And all of the Jewish leaders that have been running for office there in Israel have all said part of their agenda and their desire is to see Israel have their temple again. Of course, wow. the, the Mosque of Omar is there right now, uh, preventing that from happen from happening. The Al Aqsa uh, uh, Mosque as well is there, and so that's that's, that's the third most holy site in uh, Islam. So something has to happen to the the nation of Islam uh, worldwide for Israel to be able to rebuild its temple. And uh, many Bible prophecy scholars believe that's going to come through a war, which is commonly referred to as the Gog Magog War. That sometime between now and the time when Israel rebuilds the temple, there's going to be these nations, as you mentioned, up to 1 billion people that are surrounding Israel, and they're going to come against Israel. And in fact, the Bible lists the, what those nations are, and they're all current nations today, and all of them but one William, are anti-Israel. In other words, they're all, they've are all they all made promises and declared that they want to wipe Israel off the map. Uh, but the scripture tells us in Ezekiel 38 39 that God's going to fight for Israel and so there, there may be a way through that war that, as uh, as someone has said, that that the Islamic forces will essentially be annihilated. So there's no one to fight for that Temple Mount uh, real estate anymore. And so that, in essence, enables Israel through the Antichrist to then rebuild their temple. Uh, but yes, until that time, there's going to be constant conflict in one way or another, uh, sometimes uh you know, exploding into perhaps even regional conflicts until that day where they can rebuild that temple. And when that happens, then uh, the, then you're definitely within that that tribulation period that Revelation and Daniel talks about. Wow, that's incredible. So you're saying even the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett, has also, are you aware of he's talked about the third temple? 
I know that in the previous election, there were there were three candidates. There were uh, they were talking about Netanyahu, and I can't remember the other names of the other two guys. But all three of them had put that in their platform that they they wanted to help Israel rebuild the temple. That's and I think that's one of the things that I think that if you're if you're an Israeli, uh, you're sort of playing to that. Uh, to that inner Israel crowd, you know, the crowd that really wants Israel to be Israel, you know, not just uh, the the majority of them that are that are you know pretty much uh, secularists, if you will. Uh, but in the end times, God's going to call Israel back to Himself, and you're going to see a groundswell of that more and more. I think as we reach the end times, there's going to be more of a call for that temple to be rebuilt. Uh, more people are going to get on board with that agenda. Right. So this is all happening. The Israelis are, are moving toward the third temple. And then you're seeing even after the Holocaust, the still this rise of anti-Semitism is still gathering all around the world as well. No, it really is. In fact, it's uh, it's it's gaining ground uh, in Europe. We've seen it obviously here in America as well. But um, and scripture talks about the fact that Israel w- will be reborn to trouble. They'll have trouble until the end times. But uh, but as you think about the um, whole idea of, of, of anti-Semitism, people think, well, what, what is that really? Well, it's the idea that that the Jews are always to blame. In fact, uh, the Jews were were blamed for COVID. And there was a survey done uh, in Great Britain, and uh, 20% of people blamed the Jews for the COVID virus. Uh, there was um, blame to the Jews for the George, George Floyd murder. They said that the, the techniques that um, that uh, Derek Chauvin used on on George Floyd was he was trained by the IDF, who, who are the Jewish uh, Israeli Defense Force, and that's the reason that George Floyd died. And so, over and over again, people find different ways to blame the Jews. And of course, if Bible prophecy is any indication of kind of where we're going, what we're ramping up to, the Scripture tells us in the end times there's going to be a great bloodbath uh, that's going to, to really dwarf the Holocaust in terms of its intensity. Revelation chapter 12, there's going to be a series of attacks against the Jews by the Antichrist. And I suspect up until that time, there's going to continue to be uh, Jewish hatred across the world. And really, if you think about who's behind this whole thing, I mean, you know, you think about nations, you think about Germany, you think about people that have been anti-Semites before, uh, and even right now with a lot of Democrats that are anti-Semitic as well. Right. But ultimately, I think, uh, William, that spirit comes from the devil himself. Uh, Satan hates Israel. Uh, he hates Israel because of the the first prophecy in the Bible about uh, about Christ in Genesis 3.15, about how Christ is going to crush the head of the serpent. There's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and, and the serpent. Uh, the Jews were the ones to write the scriptures. Uh, the Jews were the ones who produced the Messiah. So over and over again, the Jews just represent the fact that Satan cannot have control. So in order to be control to control the whole world, uh, he's going to have to control the Jews. And I believe at the beginning of the tribulation that Christians are going to be out of the way. So he's going to take care of that. That's his major opposition. Now he's got to deal with the Jews. So he'll turn his attention to them at three and a half years into the tribulation and try to pretty much wipe them off the map. Once that happens, there's, there'll be nobody left uh, to oppose him and oppose his world rule over the world. And the third temple is part of that prophetic uh, tradition, right? Or the, the end times prophetic tradition in that the, the Antichrist is supposed to take the place of God within the third temple. Is that correct? Absolutely. In fact, in order for the events of Revelation to occur, Israel has to be a nation. They have to be occupying the land and the third temple has to be built. And when you uh, look at Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, 
uh, scripture tells us that the man of lawlessness, whom we know is the Antichrist, it says he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God of, uh, or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, in order for the Antichrist to do that, logically, there has to be a temple built. And so scripture tells us that at, at, at the midpoint of the tribulation, he will actually enter the temple after making a peace plan with Israel. He will declare himself to be God. And uh, that's when the, the, the mass slaughter of Jews will begin. And wasn't Revelations by John when he was at Patmos, that was after the fall of the second temple, correct? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the second temple fell in, in 70 AD uh, when the Roman general Titus uh, sacked Jerusalem. And people say, well, wait a minute, could it have been written beforehand? No, it couldn't have because the some of the churches that John uh, addresses in Revelation weren't even in existence uh, in, six, in 64 to, to 70 AD when some people claim Revelation is written. So the later date of Revelation around 95 AD uh, is the historically preferred date. Right. And then it makes it makes perfect sense that they knew that the dispersion had happened or whatever. The diaspora began after the Romans sacked the area, cut down all the trees. And then the Mount of Olives is also crucial kind of recurring history within uh, Christendom and and Revelation. Correct. It is. In fact, uh, the prophecy in in, uh, Zechariah chapter 12 says that when Christ does return, for his second coming, it says his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split right in two. In fact, that's Zechariah chapter uh, chapter thirteen and, and verse uh, verse four, or excuse me, fourteen four. It says it's going to split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley, and it says half of it will move to the north, half of it will move to the south. Now that's a prophecy that that's made thousands of years ago, and people say, well, you know, what? How can you put validity in that? Well, two thousand four, NBC News reported that a three-year study by the Israeli Archaeological Society had determined there was a major earthquake fault running right through the Mount of Olives, east to west, exactly as Zechariah prophesied. Now, when secular news is backing up Bible prophecy, it's, it's, <laughs> it becomes sort of undeniable. And so not that God needed a fault line to, to uh, crack that mountain in half, but it just tells us, oh, and the other thing they said in this report was that it was at imminent risk of of uh, of occurring this earthquake was and so that just tells us that these kind of things can happen at any moment and certainly the earth itself even is is being groomed for the return of christ right and i mean it's so like christ, i think christ didn't he make his statement prophetic statement of the end times matthew 24 i think on the mount of olives is that correct or is that yeah. part of it yeah. yes he absolutely did in fact he's sitting on the mount of olives when his disciple come disciples come to him and they say jesus what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And he launches into this apocalyptic vision that much of it we read about uh, in the book of Revelation. And um, and in fact, then he left the earth from the Mount of Olives, uh, Acts chapter 1, and the angel said, the Christ that you see rising from this mountain, he'll come back just uh, as, he, as he rose. And so, yeah, he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives, perhaps even to that very spot. We don't know. Uh, but he has promised to come back. The Mount of Olives is a, a key a ge- geographical location in the end times. Yeah, it's just inc- it's very potent and rich with meaning because that's where Titus uh, praised Jerusalem before it was sacked. Hmm. So then you're bringing in the second temple, the third temple, the coming temple uh, throughout this long millennial history. It's really incredible. Um, so where do you see what's happened? Did you have any uh, predictions or anything? I know you talk about times of the signs in your in your book. What do you see happening as we kind of 
move into this end times? Yeah, I think what, what's really obvious is that we're seeing a convergence of, of prophetic signs, uh, everything from technology to end times, anti-Semitism to the building of, uh, of the third temple uh, to globalism coming in to uh, the spiritual falling away. All of these things are prophesied as events that happen in the end times. So it's sort of like we're seeing these rivers converging. They, they haven't yet met in this one mighty river called uh, the last days yet, but they're converging. And if it tells us, it's kind of like the trajectory of a missile. I mean, you can you can pretty much track where a missile is going to go if it's an unguided missile. But you can tell where it's going to hit by, by its trajectory, by its speed, by its altitude, all these things. And as you look at Bible prophecy, you can say, hey, we don't know exactly where it's going to hit, but if, but if these things continue like they are, this is going to converge into a narrative that that dovetails seamlessly with what the Bible says is going to happen in the end days. And so people ask me, how close are we? You know, I don't have no idea exactly how close we are because uh, these things could happen in a moment. As you mentioned before, they're kind of like, William, like birth pangs and and uh, any woman who, who's had birth pangs know they happen two ways. Uh, they increase with intensity and they increase with frequency as you get closer to the birth. And so we want to be careful not to, you know, over speculate and that type of thing. But at the same time, we don't want to be blind and, and don't want to ignore the, those signs and those check engine lights. And so uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, put it this way. He says, you know, it's kind of like if you're in the grocery store and, and you hear uh, Christmas music playing, uh, but it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Uh, you have to know that Thanksgiving has to be close. And so I think we're hearing kind of the overture music of Revelation being played in the world right now through these converging events. And that tells us that we are closer now than we've ever been before. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, really fascinating book. Highly recommend people read this book. Where's the best place to get it? Is that your website, Amazon? Where do you prefer people buy your book? Yeah, you can check out more about me at jeffkinley.com, uh, but go to Amazon or, or Christian Book Distributors distributors or Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to buy books, and, and the book is available there. Gotcha. And you also have a podcast, correct? Vintage Truth, that's on uh, iTunes, is that correct? Yeah, Vintage Truth Podcast is on all the major platforms, Edify Network, uh, you know, Google Play, uh, Spotify, iTunes, all those things, uh, and uh, it's just exploding. 350 episodes now uh, in over 85 countries across the world. That's great. Congratulations. And again, uh, author is Jeff Kinley, and the book title is Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis, published April 2021. Thank you so much, Jeff. My pleasure, William. Thank you. All right. Take care.